Well, hello, everybody. Welcome in to another edition of the Remnant Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Larry Raglan, and we are excited to have you on this podcast because, you know, what that means is you see yourself, at least to some extent, as a remnant voice in this moment. You're not an echo. You're a voice. You understand that you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this, and my goodness, what a time this is the time of the taping and recording of this broadcast. Uh, major things have happened in the great United States of America. One big thing that had just happened was the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And I'm going to tell you something. I believe that that alone has released a, um, a, a curse that has been over this country uh, for 50 years. And of course, you don't understand 50. It's, it's been 50 years, y'all. 50 years. Isn't it ironic that it's been 50 years? The, think about, uh, you know, all, how all these numbers came to, pay, came to pass. 50 means jubilee. So it's been 50 years uh, that this has been in place. And now we see that there, you know, jubilee is the number 50, and that means reset. That means reboot. Now, I don't believe by no means that that means that evil has lost out completely and that we will not see, you know, people, you know, going further and further into debauchery. I believe that's probably what we're going to see. We're probably going to see, uh, just like in Genesis chapter six, remember Jesus said, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the son of man. And in the days of Noah was Genesis chapter six. And, and it said that, you know, that it repented the Lord, the the Lord was was very sorry that he had even made man because when he looked at man, all he could see was that man was evil continually. And we see that being prevalent more and more. But, you know, in the midst of that, that's what this this uh, leadership podcast is all about. That's why it's called the Remnant Leadership Podcast because we believe that in the midst of that, there is things that are happening uh, that are releasing and enabling the remnant leaders to rise to the occasion. To be the to be the voices that will usher in uh, that great outpouring. Listen, you can't believe in the great falling away, and you can't believe in end times prophecy pointing to the return of Christ, and not also believe that in the last days I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see vision. And I'm going to tell you something. That is the moment that we're in. Now, before we delve into this week's teaching. This, for this particular podcast, make sure that whatever software that you're uh, listening to this podcast on, that you follow this podcast, enable notifications to be told exactly when we put new content on the Leadership Podcast. But also, you know, scroll down and find the place where you can give us a review. And if you can give us a five-star review, and, more, and just as important, maybe even more important, if you could write a short review, that triggers the algorithm to put us in the in front of people that don't know anything about this podcast. Also share this podcast. We would greatly, greatly appreciate it. And lastly, if you want to uh, you know, watch our videos on our YouTube uh, channel, as well as the other podcast that I have called The Big Picture, all you have to do is go to LarryRaglin.tv, LarryRaglin.tv, and all of the links are there. So I want to talk to you today about what I believe has happened. I believe that when this uh landmark ruling was overturned uh now 
understand. We, I think by now you probably understand and know it doesn't mean that you know abortion was um, outlawed. It just takes it back to the states. And there are some states that have outlawed it outright. And there are some that have solidified uh, having an abortion all the way up to full term. There's been even a couple of states that have even stated that, you know, if some if a child survives an abortion and is viable, they reserve the right to refuse care. Listen, that that is that is just demonic. That is evil. And uh, I don't want to get too deep in that subject, but I can tell you that that's uh, very reminiscent. And I believe it is the spirit of a false god in the Old Testament called Moloch. And Moloch was a spirit that or an idol that they had made that was the body of a man and the head of a cow or a bull with outstretched hands. And I don't want to get too graphic on you, but this was, this was designed, this God, if you will, little G false God was designed with a hideous, horrible, demonic intention. They would sacrifice their firstborn children to the God of Moloch. And, uh, they would put a fire up under his hands and, and get the hands scalding hot, put their children onto the hands, and, you know, their, cho- their children would be killed. And, you know, so that's why so many preachers and ministers will talk about, you know, abortion is falls up under the principality, the spirit that moved upon those that worship Moloch. And, of course, that brings a curse when you, you know, the Bible tells us that when you, you know, harm a child, you are, you are, it's the greatest offense against the kingdom of God because, you know, Jesus said, don't stop the children coming to me for such is the kingdom of God. Lest you become as a child, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. So we understand the importance of children. Uh, you know, we understand that before the first covenant was given to, to Moses on the mountain, uh, as a baby, the devil tried to kill him as a child and a baby. And of course, knowing not really knowing the big picture of what God's plan was, but but knowing enough and hearing enough in the spirit realm to know that this boy named uh, Moses was going to be critical in something that God was going to do, which is known as the Old Covenant. Fast forward to the New Covenant that Jesus brought into this world. Of course, when the word got out that he, that he had been born, uh, the king wanted to kill all children to and under. So we see any time a move of God a major shift in the spirit realm is going to happen. Uh, there's an attack against the children. Now I know this might be a little heavy for a leadership podcast, but uh, you need to get it. You come on. You be, if you're going to be a remnant leader, you're going to need to hear some difficult things, and you're going to quite frankly have to speak some difficult things. Uh, you you're not going to be able to toe the line. You're not that like you maybe have before, like a lot of people in the church have. You're not going to be able to stay silent. In fact, your silence uh, in this moment is screaming, actually, very loudly of your commitment to this moment. And uh, don't think for a minute that the remnant is through being purged. The remnant is continually being purged. And the men and the women of God that are truly voices and not echoes of the culture of this world and not afraid to speak, thus saith the Lord God, are rising up. And as they rise up, more and more are falling away. Now, I'm going to tell you one of the problems that I think, and this is the topic of this particular leadership teaching, is that we have become echoes. We have, we have become uh, copycats. Uh, and I want to encourage you that a remnant leader in this moment is not going to be able to survive 
uh, being a copycat, uh, being um, just simply um, implementing things and trying to carry out things that you've seen in people that you look up to. Now, listen, there's nothing wrong with you having mentors. There's nothing wrong with you looking up to people. In fact, I, I think God would certainly prefer that your heroes, your mentors, those that you desire to emulate uh, would be men and women of God uh, that are preachers of the gospel versus people in the culture, whether it be sports, whether it be Hollywood. Most of those people's belief system is not rooted at all in the kingdom. So, yeah, I know that they're exciting to follow and everything, but in this day and time, yeah, I think it's great that you would follow some maybe well-known preacher or, or a, a, a very influential uh, person on social media and so forth. Glean from them. But let me tell you something. You're going to have to get your own word. You're going you're gonna to have to stand on your own. You're, you may have to end up being a voice in the wilderness in the community in which you are at. Um, you, you may end up being ostracized. You may end up... Um, not fitting the in the in the clique, you may be lonely. In fact, you probably will be, because a true prophetic voice and a true remnant voice is not going to have a lot of friends. You're you're not going to uh, fit in the crowd. That, that by very the very definition of the word remnant means small, means cut away. It means it's um, a remnant of cloth, if you will, that doesn't fit in with the pattern of all the other things that's been done. And, you know, quite frankly, for a while, and and I think for a long while, uh, we've just sort of been flowing in, going to these conferences, going, uh, watching YouTube videos, buying leadership uh, subscriptions, and, and those are great. I've done the same thing. And then what happened, but what happens is we, they end up usually, you know, usually we don't, you know, buy the leadership uh, instruction manual from somebody that's struggling uh, with less people than we, than we have. That's the culture that we have been taught in Americanized church. You you find the big church, you find the successful ministry that's got the multi million dollar budget, um, hundreds of of employees, and thousands of volunteers, millions of viewers on whether it be television, social media. And then we go and we try to learn how to duplicate that. But the reality is this. You can't duplicate that. That wasn't your vision. You can glean from it. You can implement some things that you learn from them, but you can't be them. Uh, that's been the problem with the church. We've just tried to cookie cutter over and over again. And I'm going to give you an example in Scripture that I think is a perfect example. One of my favorite Scripture, one of my favorite characters in Scripture is Elisha. I love Elisha. Of course, I love Elijah, but I love Elisha because Elisha is the story of this unsung hero, this this faithful guy that was the armor bearer uh, and the right-hand man to Elijah. And uh, before he received what we know is the big uh, part of his story, the double portion anointing, his job was to hold the coat uh, of Elijah, his the one he's serving while he was eating, and actually wash his hands, wash his hands and hold his coat while he stood over in the corner and watched Elijah eat. Now, that's submission. But that was just his spiritual job. He also had a secular job. The Bible says that he worked in a field, and he plowed the field with a yoke of oxen. In fact, when Elijah speaks, when God speaks to Elijah, I should say, and tells Elijah to go anoint Elisha to take over as the prophet of Israel because he's going to be taken, 
from from the earth. It was a very well known fact uh, that, in fact, the Bible even tells us that he had been telling this, this uh, Elisha and his fellow students at the school of the prophets that uh, God had told him he was going to take him. Because when 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 you follow the story out in in Second Kings uh, chapter two, you'll you'll see that you know each time that along the journey that that final journey of Elijah before he was taken up to heaven, uh, the the sons of the prophets, the fellow students, would come to Elisha and say, "Do you not understand that today uh, our master is going to be taken from us?" Well, this is because it was a common thing. The difference between the students in the school of the prophets and Elisha is Elisha had invested in that relationship. He had sowed into Elijah. Um, you know, the bottom line is, you know, everybody wants to be in Elisha because he had a double portion anointing. We keep asking for the double portion anointing. But you can't be in Elisha until you learn how to serve an Elijah. So when you serve an Elijah, then you make yourself a candidate to be an Elisha. But now watch this right here. This is very, very interesting. Let's fast forward all the way to the time at the very end when they're standing uh, there at the River Jordan and Elijah realizes that his time is short, uh, that in, at any moment the Lord could split the sky and come down and get him because I, it's very clear to me in Scripture that he knew, maybe not the full plan, but he knew that he was on a journey and uh, somewhere around the River, Jer- the, the River Jordan uh, he would be taken. And we're going to pick it up in at that very moment uh, when Elijah realizes, okay, Elisha is not going to leave me. He's not going to go. He's been with me through all of this. And I just need to ask him, what does he want from me? What is his agenda that, that he just will not leave me? And uh, he so, so he basically says, what do you want, Elisha? What do you want? And Elisha says, I want a double portion of your anointing. Now, listen, I want a double portion of your So he said, this is, I'll pick up at verse 10, 2 Kings chapter 2. Elijah said to Elisha, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. In other words, you need to be able to be locked in in the spirit when this happens. And If you can see what's on me, you can have what's in me. Now, verse 11 says, then it happened as they continued on and walked. Then suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire, separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Now, this is key. Verse 12 says, and Elisha saw it. He saw it all. And he cried out, my father, oh, my father, my father the chariot of Israel and the horsemen. My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the river Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? When he had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. Now, when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. 
Wow. This was a huge and epic event in the land of Israel. So you got to understand, up until that point, Elijah was everything. Now it was Elisha. So this story became legend. The story of Elijah, how he left. The story of Elisha, how he received the double portion anointing. So obviously this story had been told by Elisha many times. But it also, since he had explained it later on, what had happened to the sons of the prophets, and more than likely took over the school of the sons of the prophets for in Elijah's stead, uh, they had all heard that story. So the story had been passed down. The story of Elijah being taken up in the whirlwind. The story of uh, the double portion. But part of that story was, was, a, was a sentence that a lot of people don't think is that important. But it's hugely important to leaders. Leaders, the, the whole part of the whole reason for this broadcast is this sentence. When Elisha saw it, when he saw the whirlwind, when he saw the chariots of, uh, uh, of fire and the horses of fire, he said with his mouth, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So the whole story became legend and that sentence became a part of legend. Now, let's talk about what that means. Why is that so important? Because now, that was the end of, of, the, of the earthly uh, walking of Elijah. Now, we, now, Elijah didn't die. He was taken. But the Bible tells us in Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed that a man wants to die, and after that, the judgment. Now, I don't want to get too deep on end-time prophecy, but if you fast-forward all the way to the book of Revelation and you read about the two witnesses, that are in Jerusalem during the tribulation period. They both die. They lay in the street for several days. The whole world sees them in the street, and then they're raised from the dead. I personally believe that one of them is definitely Elijah. Uh, some people believe the other one is Enoch because Enoch, the Bible said, loved the Lord, and the Lord took him. And you read it, you studied it out. It basically means this, almost the same thing that happened to Elijah uh, happened to Enoch. He was taken. Uh, he did not die here on this earth, and neither did Elijah. So therefore, most theologians believe that since the word of God says it's appointed a man wants to die, and after that to judgment, that more than likely Elijah and Enoch are the two witnesses that will have to still die and then, of course, receive their resurrected body. Now, some people believe that instead of Enoch, it is Moses, and that's tied to the point to the fact that uh, some of the plagues that happens during the tribulation period are so similar to what happened during the 10 plays with Moses. But that's not the topic that we're talking about today. I'm just simply saying that it is a principle of the word of God that if you are in the flesh, you are going to die. So Elijah didn't die, but Elisha did. And when you get to the end of the story of Elisha, he had an unbelievable life uh, and basically doubled the miracles, uh, did ex double the miracles exactly. Um, that Elijah did. And, and an interesting fact about that is when Elisha died, he was one miracle shy of double the miracles of Elijah. And, uh, some people might've looked at him probably and mocked and said, yeah, well, I thought you had a double portion, but you didn't quite make it to double. Well, later on, while his dead bones were, he'd been dead for a long time, flesh then fell off his bones. It was just his bones in a tent, in a, in a sepulcher. Um, they were lowering another dead body into that into that pit where the body was, into that grave. And I don't know if they knew it was Elisha or not, but 
uh, they begin to hear somebody coming. They got nervous and dropped the dead man. And when he hit the hard on the ground, part of his body touched the bones of Elisha, and he literally was raised from the dead. And uh, so in the death of Elisha, his bones uh, finished the word of God, the promise of God, and it became exactly double the amount of miracles of Elijah. So that's a cool, interesting little fact. But going back to right before he died, now what's what the Bible tells us in 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14. This is the end of the life of Elisha. Listen to this. And Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would eventually die. So, of course, he's the prophet of Israel, so he has access to the kings. The kings are very familiar with him. And he is with the king of Israel, Johash. And the Bible says in verse 14, when he became sick with the illness that would that he would die of, that Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face. Very, very prominent thing in Eastern culture that when you know the um, patriarch, the man of God, uh, is dying on his deathbed, uh, everyone that wants to receive, especially his children, but anyone that acknowledges, the, especially if it was a great prophet, they want to get in that room when he's breathing his last breath because, you know, the last words were very profound. Uh, they would lay hands on them, and they would, uh, the, the, the patriarch would lay hands on those that are in the room and transfer anointings, speak blessings, uh, generational blessings, and so forth. So the king of Israel, Joash, said, look, the word is that Elisha is on his deathbed. So he runs to him. He gets in the room. He begins to weep and cry. Now listen to this. Watch what happens, leaders. Watch what happens. We have to be careful not to take shortcuts. And we have to be careful not to think that if we do exactly what everyone else did, say exactly what everyone else says, that everything is going to happen for us exactly the way it happened for them. So when you first read this, then Joash, the king of Israel, came down and wept over his face. It almost implies, uh, and most people would believe, that he was just so sorrowful at the death of Elisha. Well, he probably was. But what he was really weeping for is that he realized we're about to lose this anointing that's on this man, and I want that anointing for myself uh, instead of crying out for another prophet for it to be passed down to. Watch what happens. So then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. Does that sound familiar? The only difference is between these two passages is, oh, because everything else is a direct quote. When Elisha saw Elijah disappear into the heavens with the chariot of fire and the, and the, and the horses of fire, he said those words, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and his horsemen. At the death of Elisha, Joash, the king of Israel, says, oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. That's another difference, too. Elisha said the chariot singular of Israel and its horsemen and uh, Joash said, oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. Now, look, I'm, I'm okay with, with chalking that up to after time. You know, that's a pretty close quote. 
Uh, there could be some deep other deep meaning in there uh, that we could break it down. I could say some things there, but I'm not going to go there because I'm almost going to give them the benefit of the doubt that once you've you know passed down for for it to be that close after all those years and him quote it that way, pretty close. Okay, it's very obvious what he's doing. He is trying to duplicate what he's heard over and over and over again, and all of Israel has heard the story of Elisha and how he got the double portion. So he's like, okay, if he got a double portion, I'm getting a triple portion. I'm getting a quadruple portion. And Elisha said to him, take a bow and some arrows. And so he took a bow and some arrows. And then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. Now listen. So he put his hand on it, and Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And he said, open the east window, and he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at Aphat till you have destroyed them. Then he said, take the arrows. So he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria until you would have destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. And Elisha died, and they buried him. And the raiding bands of Moab, this is what I was talking about, invaded the land of the springs of, of the year. And so it was as they were burying a man that suddenly they spied a band of raiders, and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. Wow. Now, a couple of things I want to show you that as we are just coming quickly to the end of this podcast and, and, and my, my nugget I'm going to give you to protect yourself in this moment is remember, Elisha asked a hard thing of Elijah when he told him, I want a double portion, two times, double portion anointing. But he got it. He got it because he did exactly what the prophet said to do. He said, here's how you're going to get it. You've got to see me when I go. If you see me when I go, you can have what's on me. And he got it. So when it came time for Elisha to die, Joash came in and he says, okay, I'm going to cut to the chase. I'm going to, I'm going to say the same thing that, that our prophet said. So he says, I'm, oh, my, oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel, chariots of Israel and the horsemen and their horsemen. So instead of him just saying, okay, you shall receive, you know, mine on it. Elisha said, okay, here, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're trying to do. It's very obvious to the prophet what Joash was trying to do. So he said, okay, get, he takes the bow and the arrows, tells him to shoot. Then he tells him to take the rest of the arrows and strike the, strike the ground. And he strikes the ground, watch this, three times and stopped. Three times and stopped. Why? Because in his mind, Elisha asked a hard thing of Elijah. It was a very uh, legendary story. And he said, uh, so he got a double portion. So he said, if Elisha had a double portion and Elisha pours his anointing down on me, I'll get a triple portion. So he strikes three times, once for each of the portion that he is expecting to receive from Elisha. And he's just really just trying to do the ritualistic thing. He's trying to do the cookie cutter thing. He's trying to do what everybody else has done. He's not allowing himself to be big picture, thinking outside of the box. Maybe something radical is happening. Here's the reality. 
kingdom math does not operate like our math. In our mind, it makes sense that if, if, if Elisha received the double portion, then when he lays hands on the next generation, they're going to receive a triple portion. But watch how Elisha rebukes him. He says, you should have struck five or six times. In other words, I did not want, God did not put on my heart to just give you a triple blessing or a triple anointing to be able to win these battles. You were intended to have a five-fold or a six-fold anointing. But when you try to duplicate someone else's path, someone else's sacrifices that they've made without making those sacrifices, then you're always going to come up short. You're never going to be everything that God's called you to be. Can I tell you something? You can quote Oral Roberts. You can quote Kenneth Hagin. You can quote uh, Rod Parsley. You can quote Billy Graham. And they will be great. They will be great quotes for you to quote. And people might think that you're, you know, whether you give them credit or not, wow, that was impressive what, what they said. Wow, what a leader. Listen to that deep anointing. But let me tell you something. In this day and age, when the remnant is rising and when leaders are needed on another level, you can't rely on someone else's anointing. You can't rely on someone else's words that they have spoken. You can learn from them and you can glean from them. But your journey is going to be different. Where Elisha's generation just had to see something. You're going to have to strike some things. You're going to have to maybe go to war. You're going to, you, you, you may have to uh, put your, instead of wearing a mantle, uh, in the sense of that just ha- all that you have as a weapon is, is a prayer shawl to, to smite the waters, you may need a bow and an arrow. Uh, because th- there's intense, there's an intensifying of the spiritual warfare in this moment. And the remnant leaders identify that, and they know how to step up to it. And I'm going to tell you, those that don't are falling left and right. They're falling left and right. See, I can tell you this. Uh, for most of my ministry, uh, when I say my ministry, you understand what I say. I know that it's God's ministry, but... Most of the years that Sandy and I have been doing this, especially the early years, I'd say for well over, well over the first half of our of our ministry life. At the time of this recording, I've been in ministry for about thirty three years, just right at thirty three years. I've been I've been pastoring now for about that same time, been pastoring this same church that we planted, coming up on thirty years, twenty nine thirty years. So you know, but we started with nothing. We started uh, just a desire to serve God. And and I will tell you, for over half, maybe two-thirds of our ministry, we were never taken seriously. We were mocked. Nobody wanted to know what we were doing. Nobody wanted to know, you know, how did you become successful? How did you build that building? How did you get that nice building? How did you do this? How did blah, blah, blah. And I was never driven by that anyway. But what I'm trying to say is, you know, there was no looking at us and seeing a success. But there's something comes with stability and faithfulness and commitment. And after a while, God begins to show you and by default show others his hand upon your life. And now at this juncture in my life, and I say this humbly, I got people all the time saying, I want to learn from you. I want to glean from you. Will you be a spiritual father to me? I want to be able to do what you've done. I want to be able to duplicate what you've done. I want to see my church successful. Will you pour into my leadership team and all of that? I'm humbled and I'm honored to do that. 
But the reality is this. I'm not going to be able to go in there and tell them, well, this is what I did. This is how we did it. So if you'll just do this and do it how we did it, you'll get the success that we've got. No. In fact, in fact, I don't want you to have to. That's the purpose of this entire podcast. It's the purpose of my my life right now in, in this season that I'm in is to help as many sons and daughters as I can to not have to go through what I went through, not have to make the mistakes that I've made and have to struggle the way Sandy and I have had to struggle. And quite frankly, I don't, I don't speak a double portion anointing on your life. I want you to have that five and that six times. Don't stop striking. Don't stop being obedient. You know, yeah, I'll pour into you everything I can pour into you. I'll, I'll help you any way I can. But the reality is this. It's going to be different for you. And as the remnant uh, gets uh, tweaked even more and more and more and trimmed even more and more and more, it's going to become even more uncomfortable. The Bible talks about how, you know, God sees in secret and rewards us openly. He also says, you know, if you're faithful in a few things, he'll make you rule over much. You know, the ministry is not an easy life. It's a tough, it's a tough life. Leadership is not easy. Because leadership is influence. And, and when you influence someone's life, that means you've got to invest in their life. Okay? You can't just come along and read a book by um, John Maxwell or read a book by anybody that you look up to in the ministry. And all of a sudden, now you've got the revelation of how they got where they're at. And then you just go say the same things, do the same things. You know, you're going to benefit from the wisdom of those people. But you're not, you've, not, you've not had to go through what they've had to go through. The reason Elisha received the double portion of anointing is not because he said, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and, the, and, his, and his horsemen. That was not the key to him receiving the double portion of anointing. But when you were not plugged in and investing in the life and the ministry of Elijah, that's all you heard. That's that's all the sons of the prophets heard. That's all the, the legend became is that well, at that, that moment. Because you, if you remember the story, no, remember Elijah said, if you see me, you can have it. No one else saw it. They were watching from a distance. The sons of the prophets were. They did not see the chariot of Israel. They did not see the horsemen. All they saw was a bright light. They heard a rumbling and they thought that God had picked Elijah up and dropped him somewhere in the mountain. The Bible tells us that. They, they went to the mountains looking for Elijah. They had no idea what had happened. But they did hear Elisha say, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and his horsemen. And so they equated that statement and passed it down through, through generations to be the trigger for the blessings of God. So here Josiah comes in in his royal garb and, you know, basically having all these people uh, on a security team to defend him. Anything he wants to eat, he can get it. He's living in the nicest home and all this. And, and he just wants to take a shortcut at the death of Elisha and just say, look, I'm taking this thing to another level. Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And it didn't happen. Elisha's like, no, 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 no. You're going to, have to understand you're going to have to go through some stuff. You're going to have to fight some battles. In fact, the key to your uh, inheritance is going to be in your faithfulness in war. But but guess what? Josiah didn't know that. He was just, he in his mind, he's like, I'm satisfied with the triple anointing. So he struck the ground three times in the Bible said, and he stopped. And Elisha, being a spiritual father, 
says, you know, I don't, I don't want you to just have just a tad bit more than me. I want you to go fat further and faster. And that's what an arrow is. That's why he told him to shoot the arrow because that arrow represented, Hey, look, I had to go through my, my ministry was a slow progress, but I want you to be an arrow in, and I'm the bow. I want to pull you back and I want to launch you. I want to launch you to go faster and further and quicker. And quite frankly, in this last day, we don't have enough, enough time for people to develop the, uh, along the length of time that they used to have to develop. We need you to move quickly. So the, the key is not to be able to, you know, start another podcast like Pastor Larry and call it uh, the New Remnant Leadership Podcast. And open up your show, you know, find find the song and, you know, open it up like this. Hello, my name is so-and-so. I learned a lot from Larry Raglan. I'm trying to do a podcast like Larry Raglan. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, no, no. We don't need that. First of all, I'm, 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 I'm not saying that I'm anything anyway. But you're going to have to find your voice. You're going to have to do what God tells you to do. And it's not going to be easy. Because the, the enemy is the enemy understands his time is limited. And if there's ever been a time that we do need remnant leaders to hear from God and do exactly what is being told for them to do by God, it is now. The days of cookie cutter leadership is over. Read books, watch videos, study, learn, and glean. But some of you are gonna have to grab the mantle and strike a Jordan. Some of you are just going to be faithful. Some of you are going to strike the ground with arrows. Every journey is different, but the end result is the same. God rewards faithfulness, and the world needs faithfulness. You're going to have to find your voice, and your voice is developed in your journey, not my journey, not anybody else's journey. Remnant. Leaders, stand up and say, here I am, God. Whatever you want from me, I'm ready. Speak. See you next time on the Remnant Leadership Podcast. God bless and have a great day. We love you.